Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, and I am joined today by Joe Riley. He is the CEO of Patriot Family Homes, and we're going to talk a little bit about his journey and a little bit about what he's doing in real estate now. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you get started in real estate? Where was your first deal, and kind of how have you progressed through your journey? Yeah, so I was uh, had no intention of uh, of doing this, uh, but I was in the army and uh, moving kind of from base to base. My wife and I moved, I think, eight times in eight years, uh, as, as many military families do. And uh, so then I was stationed down at Fort Benning, got deployed to Afghanistan with the Rangers. Uh, my wife uh, kind of travels for work, or did at the time Monday through Thursday or Friday. So we just decided to throw the house up on Airbnb and home away and quickly realized, no surprise, there's a big need for furnished short-term accommodations around military bases. And so uh, when I got back from Afghanistan, you know, started buying another house and another house. And, you know, we were doing the typical Burr model of buy, you know, renovate, renovate rent, refinance, repeat, um, and uh, then expanded from <coughs> Fort Benning uh, in Columbus, Georgia, out to other military bases. And then ultimately realized it's not just military bases that need this sort of product, but, you know, it's uh, needed in other markets as well. And so started branching out to other communities also. And so that's what we do. We now have a management company that provides management services for our homes. And we uh, have launched several other kind of funds of other prop co's uh, to go out and buy real estate that we then acquire and renovate and manage. And then, uh, and we work with just third party vacation owners as well. So were you using VA loans or just your own savings or how were you acquiring the properties back when you were doing your kind of burst strategy? So when I first started, uh, we were buying off uh, the very, very beginning. We were buying off cash and then we took a line of credit margined off of our publicly traded stocks and used that as a you know substitute for cash or in addition to cash. And then once we had you know, stabilize the property post renovation and renting, then we would move it initially to, you can't use VA loans for it, but we would just move to, you know, you can have up to 10 conventional mortgages, you know, kind of any Freddie back to, you know, 30 year fixed rate loans. And so we did the 10 or so of those that we could. And then once we capped out from that, then we started working with, you know, regional and community banks. So how did you learn during your time, you know, you obviously, if you're living in eight places in eight years, you're not living where you have properties. Uh, what was, were you using management companies? Were you managing them yourselves? What were you doing there? Uh, we always self-managed. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how you've, how you went about self-managing. And obviously you're, I'm guessing you're not fully self-managing now with your company, but how has management of it changed um, over the years? Yeah. So we, we still, you know, we have a, you know, we created another management company, right. That, you know, has grown alongside the, the property companies. Uh, and so, you know, when I say we, you know, we've now got 80 or so people who work in the, uh, in the management company. 
Uh, but we're still managing, you know, through that company then, and then obviously manage for a lot of other people as well. Um, so we were a little bit different. I mean, we take over a lot of short-term rental properties from folks who, you know, it can be a grind, right? I mean, any, anybody who's had rental real estate knows that uh, it can be a grind and the cash flow is great off of short-term rentals, but, you know, turning a house 50 times, 55 times a year, 60 times a year can be a headache, right? <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so we take over from a lot of people who want to have, you know, I would, I would say that short-term rentals, if you're self-managing, is not passive income, right? Uh, no. Short-term rentals, if you're contracting that out to another company, is passive income. Um, but, you know, so we, we find a lot of people who want to partner with us because they do want to have passive income from a short-term rental. But then they realize managing a short-term rental is not passive. And so then they, they kind of contract that operational work out to us. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're going around and finding your team members, um, kind of what's the what are the key things that you look for in your in your real estate team that you've built up over the years? Yeah. Um, so I guess it depends on what role we're hiring. You know, we, you know, obviously looking for different things on the accounting team versus the HR team versus the deal team versus the reno teams or the ff and &E procurement and install teams. But if we try to synthesize it down, you know, we like to say we're looking for people who are, you know, as, as kind of cheeky or simple as this might say, you know, we want people who are grateful uh, to be coming to work for our company. And then we're in turn grateful to have them. Uh, and so gratitude is a, you know, actually a really important uh, characteristic that we look for because it's a, dirty fingernails business that requires a lot of energy and commitment uh, to do it. Uh, so that's really important to us. Um, and then I could talk if there are specific kind of roles that you're interested in, happy to talk more about kind of specific than more technical skills that we look for in individual roles. So why management? I mean, management is probably the most thankless and miserable part of real estate investing. What made y'all decide to to go down that route? Uh, well, I mean, we still own a lot of stuff, and I mean, a huge right. portion of our focus is on the is on the real estate. But, um, you know, I like building teams from my days in the military, right? And so, um, you know, building teams to kind of manage the properties we felt was accretive and value to the property companies because we felt we could do so better and more affordably than if we were contracting it out to some of the other players that we were uh, looking at. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge and we enjoy the challenge. Uh, so, and then two, the ability to kind of control our own destiny because our management company doesn't just manage. Uh, it has an acquisition, you know, underwriting and acquisitions team that go out and evaluate new markets and then, find realtors and, you know, you know, you know, acquire and negotiate properties and then does the renovation. And then we have, you know, a procurement team that procures all the FF&E and then goes out and installs that FF&E in the homes and then does the maintenance and the guest services and the sales and the marketing. And, you know, so we felt it was, you know, if you were just doing five, 10, 15, 20, you know, frankly, less than a hundred properties, 
it's hard to kind of self-manage, right? You know, because it's just the, you never get it. You never get to escape the grind and you're not able to achieve the economies of scale and the specialization that you need. You know, it's really about like, you know, are you wanting to just have a couple properties or even you know, a dozen or so properties and you want it to be passive income? If so, great. You focus on getting great, you know, buying the properties, renovating them, whatever else, and then pass off the management to someone else. But if you're trying to build a huge enterprise, you know, that's going to be thousands of properties, then you kind of want to have an affiliated management company to, you know, to take care of that for you. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned having the team members who go out and um, look for the markets and, and find them. What are some of the things that y'all look for in individual markets? And what are some of the areas that you think are currently kind of primed for um, the best success? Um, I, I mean, specifically right now, we're obviously talking more on the short-term rental side, because I assume y'all are not fully evaluating these markets for the long-term rental side based on your, your focus. That's correct. We are looking at short-term rentals. So, you know, at the most basic level, we scrape a bunch of data and we're looking at where do we have the highest percentage of short-term rental revenue as a percentage of, you know, average home values there. Right. So that's, that's what we're looking for. Uh, and so we would say we're looking for affordable real estate markets that have a lot of churn because the churn is what creates the demand for our, certain you know, products or service, right? And then obviously the low or the affordable, you know, real estate markets is what gives us a low cost basis in the asset. So then what sort of markets meet that? Military bases obviously are one, you know, you have a lot of turnover there, it creates the churn. Typically real estate prices aren't crazy around military bases uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, two is around, you know, kind of blue collar destination locations. You know, we do a lot of that, of kind of drive to vacation areas. We look for university towns, you know, universities, again, similar to military, create a demand for short-term uh, furnished accommodations, state capitals, major hospital systems, uh, areas that have a lot of in influx of industry that's in creating. We do a lot of contractor work, traveling electricians, plumbers, you know, that sort of stuff. And those, you know, a, a bunch of big industries are arriving in a community that might not have adequate housing at the time for that or is requiring temp workers to come in and help fill those roles, then those are great sources of demand for the product as well. And where are you finding most of that information? Like, are you just looking at the census website or uh, like city, county news, or where are you looking for that information? Yeah, we are getting uh, from on the revenue side, we're looking for, um, you know, at kind of AirDNA and other sites like AirDNA that kind of scrape, um, you know, rental revenue from the from the OTAs and try to get a sense of what that revenue looks like. And then on the asset price standpoint, we're mainly just pulling kind of Zillow and stuff like that. So that's that first cut point of what's the revenue coming from the uh, uh, short term rental data websites divided by asset price, which is kind of pulling from uh, various, you know, MLS backed, uh, you know, technology platforms. Okay. And so what are you, one of the things that some people have mentioned to me and that I've, when I've talked with other short-term rental um, people is market saturation. Obviously there's some places where there are just a ton of short-term rentals, other places where they're 
aren't so many, but there's also places where there's a ton of short-term rentals, but there's still, you know, gaps in the market that you can, you know, fill and be quite successful. So when it comes to figuring out, not just if a market's going to be good for short-term rentals, but if there's a space for your short-term rental um, in it, how do you, how do y'all go about making sure that you're not getting into a place where all of the signs point in the right direction, but y'all are too late to the game? Yeah. So we look at how much market, you know, supply growth there's been and how that's impacting supply and demand. We think about what percentage of a market do we want to constitute in terms of supply. Uh, and uh, we look at regulatory regimes. So if you have a tight regulatory regime that has caps or other restrictions on new inventory coming in, that's obviously helpful in a way. Um, and then, you know, Ultimately, though, we also try to think that we're, you know, we're better than most operators, you know, just take their property and put it on Airbnb or home away or maybe both. You know, we push out across 17 or 18 different distribution networks. We have our own direct channels that we've built through repeat guests and B2B marketing and stuff like that. So we, you know, we try to think about not necessarily how is the average short term rental performing in a market, but how do we think we can perform? um you know in the kind of product that we offer yeah all right fantastic and so how do you recommend um you know you mentioned a lot of people just throw their properties up on airbnb or home away what are some of the things that you've seen that you've done yourself or that you've seen other investors do to help them kind of stand out and to become more of a success than just your average person who throws it out there and sees who books on their, on their site? Yeah, I think thinking creatively about amenities um, is helpful. Thinking about the kind of design of the home and making sure you've got, you know, really good professional photographs that, um, that kind of reflect the home and, and put it in a good light. Being strategic about how you describe in, in terms of writing the descriptions, the amenity op selections that you choose, how you set, your pricing algorithms in terms of last minute booking versus early bird and, you know, trying to leave space for long-term reservations on the calendar versus booking out, you know, you know, you know, a few weekends, you know, months in advance that then prevent longer term reservations. And so that's a lot of what we think about is how to balance, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pricing revenue management question. It's a marketing in, in terms of descriptions, listing photos, um, and, and things of that sort. And then it's an amenity offering. And then obviously, you know, there's a huge piece of it is what a past guest say, and, you know, you manage your reviews and things of that sort. Okay. And so you, what, one thing you didn't touch on earlier was what kind of markets have y'all seen lately that, you know, stand out to you as, you know what, this is a solid um, investment market that either we want to get into, or we think our investors should get into. Yeah. So, you know, we love markets like Savannah, right, that have military, college, tourism, a lot of influx of industry, like a lot of different positive factors going at once. Or Pensacola, which, again, has military, you know, beach uh, and then other stuff we like. Um, you know, we're a little bit more skeptical of kind of mountain destinations these tend to be more seasonal um, and there's less of a premium on, you know, kind of the, you know, it's, it's, 
less kind of restrictions on supply. Um, so, and then we like, you know, we like most Southern cities, frankly, for our kind of core utility product. Um, we find that that, you know, is there's a need for that in most cities. So we're in 40, over 40 markets. Um, so we, you know, we're in a lot of different locations. Yeah. Fantastic. So whenever you were scaling, you know, you mentioned you were doing the, the burrs and everything, and then you got into more of the short term. Were you still doing kind of like your, your own rehabs whenever, by the time you got to short term rentals or at that point, did your acquisition strategy change or what did you do once you got into you know, not just doing single family burrs? Um, we did, I managed most of the renos up through probably 20, 30 homes somewhere in there. I wasn't, you know, the first five or six or seven, I was doing the renos. Right. And then like from somewhere between seven and 10, I stopped doing a lot of the work myself, but directly managing it. And then, you know, by when we were in the thirties, I had somebody to help me do that. So, so then, but you were still like for your, your short-term rentals that you have, you would find kind of a distressed asset, fix it up and then do it that way? Or were you finding places that were being used as a short-term rental and you thought I can go in here, make these changes and then it'll perform even better? No, we have, you know, primarily bought stuff that is not currently, some stuff might be new builds or turnkey, but is not currently a short, we don't buy a lot of existing short-term rentals. Okay. Um, and so what, what size home do you think is usually a good choice for short term? Are you, are most places better for like three bedroom, four bedroom, like kind of are bigger homes better? And what, uh, what advice do you have for people who are just trying to figure out, you know, what kind of home to buy when it comes to those? Um, I think that, you know, again, you got to think through what your skill set is, right? So if you, uh, have an eye for, you know, in, in the skill set to do rehabs, you know, I guess the more, you know, if, if your, your, your kind of total cash on cash returns will be best if you're, you know, you're a great renovator and you buy a property off mar market and you renovate it yourself. And then you've got furniture from family member, whatever else you furnish it and set it up yourself. Right. Like if you do all that yourself, you know, you're investing a lot of sweat equity in it. So your returns going to be higher if you don't have the skill set to do or manage renos um, or don't have a desire or aptitude to kind of stage and furnish the house, you're probably better off paying somebody else to. So, you know, um, or buying a turnkey house, right? So if you're like, I don't, I don't know how to, you know, I don't like doing renovations. I don't like staging and furnishing homes. Then your best bet is to either buy an existing short-term rental or buy a truly turnkey, you know, kind of class A style property and just, you know, hire somebody to put furniture in it or hire a firm, you know, like ours that can oversee those processes that are not your kind of core skill set and, you know, let them help do that for you. But in terms of just like when it, the acquisition part, like should people be looking at your are, Is it like more bedrooms, the better, or is it, you know, you don't really start seeing much improvement after three or four si bedroom sizes in general. Obviously, this isn't for every market. Like, is there a point where it's too big or too small to really function well as an Airbnb or short-term rental, I should say? Uh, no, I mean, there's plenty 
uh, plenty, you know, one bed, one baths, two bed, one baths, you know, that do well. We'd like kind of quadplexes and stuff that have a couple of smaller units in it. We can list them in combination or separately. So, you know, I don't, in general, I would say that, you know, the biggest arbitrage in terms of performance of short-term rental versus long-term rental tends to be closer to the downtown core, bigger properties, right? Nicer properties, less of an arbitrage difference as you kind of go down in quality, down in size and move further away from the downtown core. But we still have properties that are, you know, some of our best performing properties are, in fact, I think our single best performing property is actually a quadplex that has a, it's a three one, a two, that uh, has two, two ones and one one. Okay. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when they come into the short-term rental space and how, how have you overcome those? Spending too much money is always the, <laughs> spending too much money is always the problem. Um, that's a problem. Number two, uh, I've seen a lot of people get these kind of variable interest only rate loans. So and that's pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty dangerous. Uh, in my view, particularly in the rate environment that we're in. Um, I see a lot of people think, oh, it's passive, right? Passive income. Short-term rentals are not passive income, <laughs> right? So uh, not if you're self-managing. So that's another one. And then and then if you are self, and then people who are managing their own home, like they just get too emotionally attached to it, right? And it's like somebody says they hate the paint color of your home or terrible street or I hate your neighbors or I, you know, your kitchen's dumpy or your bathroom stinks or, you know, like, you know, that and people just get emotionally attached to it, particularly if it's their vacation home or their home or, you know, they designed the home that they think it looks beautiful, right? It's perfect. And then somebody shows up and is like, ah, it's dirty. This is broken. This is terrible. I, you shouldn't even, this house shouldn't even be able to be rented, Right. And then they like internalize all of those criticisms in a way that, you know, is unproductive. Um, so that's one problem. The other thing, people just underprice, 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 right? Or they don't use dynamic pricing. They just say, all right, I'm going to charge, you know, a hundred bucks a night on the weekend, on the weekdays and 150 bucks a night on the weekend. And those are my two prices, you know, in our properties, you know, we will have, you know, if you're in a, college town, you know, maybe on a Tuesday in January, we'll rent the house for a hundred bucks a night. And maybe on graduation weekend, it may be $1,600 a night, right? I mean, that's huge price variation, but it just reflects, you know, supply and demand uh, as and how that ebbs and flows over the year. And if you can't capture those peak events and peak seasons, you're just never going to make the returns that you need to. So, Pricing too low, not doing dynamic pricing, uh, getting too emotionally attached to what people say about the houses, you know, this illusion that it's passive income when it's not. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to have a short term rental, I wouldn't put a family heirloom in there. Right. Like, <laughs> if, you know, if this is grandfather's handcrafted wooden table, that's like the most cherished possession you have. I would not put that in a short term rental. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So when you say spending too much money, are you talking about on furnishings or on the property or yes? Um, kind of, All what are you referring to? Up, right. Spend too much money buying the property because they think it has to be the like 
the multi, you know, the only the it's got to be the million dollar, the biggest, nicest. Spend too much money renovating it. <clears throat> Spend way too much money on the furniture, um, and then are too liberal with guest reviews, right? I mean, the reality of it is, a lot of guests will show up and start pushing for a refund from the day they, you know, from the minute they hit the house, right? Because they know that it's a two-sided marketplace in theory, but in reality, it's really the host that is most susceptible to a bad review. And so they can threaten the host with bad reviews and most hosts will then kind of roll over, even if it's not really a valid complaint and give them the money. Now, that's one thing we haven't touched on much is how, how do you deal with that? I mean, if you've got people coming at you and saying, saying those kind of things, how do you, how do you resolve that? I mean, we have about 16,000 guests a month come through our houses at this point. So our team's pretty good at ferreting out what's a legitimate issue and what's not. Um, so that's, you know, we start trying to do things like if let's say somebody shows up and it's like, well, you know, the house isn't this way or, you know, the bed was the, you know, then we'll say, okay, would you like us to come address it for you? You know, when's a good time for us to come address it? And then they're like, well, I don't, you know, I just want to refund. I don't want people messing in the, you know, and it's like, okay, well, what if we got you and your family like coffee, you know, or something like that, you know, so we'll buy you coffee or something like that. We'll go out and help it. No, I don't want that. Or like, well, what if we give you a credit towards a future stay, you know, and it's like the last thing we offer is just to issue a refund. And if the people are just, you know, and you, I mean, as simple as you'll see, like, people send in these literally send in photos that still have the Getty images, you know, tags on them. Be like, There's bed bugs in this bed. And it's like, okay, well, are you willing, you know, you're confident there's bed bugs. Yes. I'm confident there's bed bugs. Okay. We'll send out a pest control company to inspect. If the pest control company says they're bed bugs and absolutely we'll refund your stay and, you know, move you to another house, whatever it might be. If the pest control company comes out and says there aren't bed bugs then we're going to ask you to agree to pay for the service call to send out the pest control company because we have a third party cleaning company that just went through and they didn't report any bed bugs. And then if they're like, you know, so you start trying to have them make, put some skin in the game, have some commitments if, you know, to prove out that they're, they really have a legitimate issue. And some people certainly do look, I mean, 15,000 yeah. a month, we make all sorts of mistakes, right? And some of them are little mistakes and we ask a little grace for and, you know, and try to make it up. Some of them are big mistakes. You know, we miss cleans, you know, it's just the reality, you know, something glitches in the software, the notification doesn't get pushed to the cleaner, the cleaner doesn't go. And then the house didn't clean, right? Or AC breaks or, you know, um, another one that is actually has been frequent, you know, is power outages, you know, and that's, you know, powers out for the whole half the city it's like we'll work out something but you know that's not our fault you know we yeah. didn't we didn't knock the power out so yeah all right so who is your like target company like if i'm listening to this and i have short-term rentals how do i know if i'm a good fit for what you are offering so we would say that our uh folks fall in you know our partners fall into a, a couple of categories. First of all, we have our larger, you know, uh, investors who want to have a, you know, may want to have 10, 20, 50, 100, 500. We've got one, you know, 500 properties, right? So 
there's that category that if you're wanting to make a large, almost institutional style play in the short term rental space, great. You can hire us. We'll do everything for you. Acquisitions, renovation, all that stuff. Then there's if you set aside that court category, then the next is your kind of retail investor that says, hey, I just want to have a couple, but I'd like for you to go out and find the house for me and renovate it and furnish it and do every, you know, do all of that stuff for me and then manage it. And then the third category is somebody who, you know, already has a property. They're using it as a long-term rental and they're like, I think I could optimize this better as a short-term rental. Then we'll come in and help them convert it from long-term to short-term. And then the fourth category is I've already got a vacation home, short-term rental, whatever else. I'm tired of the headache of dealing with it. I don't think I'm optimizing my revenue, whatever it might be. And I want a professional management company to come in and get rid of the headache and, you know, increase my revenue. Uh, and so that's, those are the kind of four categories, big, you know, larger style investors who want a full soup to nut solution, smaller retail investors, who you know still want us to go out and acquire them a purpose design portfolio, but wanted to you know just have cash and are wanting to go deploy it, and then thirdly, people who have long-term rentals that want to convert them to short-term rental for higher yield, and then fourthly, people who have vacation homes or existing short-term rentals and are just tired of the headache, feel like they're not getting as much out of it as they can, and want us to take over. Fantastic. Well. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. You know, the website is patriotfamilyhomes.com. That's patriotfamilyhomes.com. Really appreciate you joining us. And people, don't forget, if you want to get your copy of the top 20 markets to invest in in 2023 that our uh, founder, Zach Lamaster, wrote recently, you can email podcast at renttoretirement.com. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. And also, don't forget, we are offering a $10 gift card to anyone who goes to their podcast platform. Write the review, takes a screenshot, and emails it to podcast at renttoretirement.com, as well as entering you in a $500 closing cost credit giveaway that we're doing in a raffle at the end of June 2023. Thank you so much for spending the time to educate yourself today. We'll talk to you on the next episode.